Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. In the year 1984, I saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. On this scene, the plane is shown flying over the Great Wall of China. Every time I saw this movie, I would pause this scene and look at it for minutes at a time. I wished I would go there one day. As I watched, I froze a moment in time in my mind. This character had been speaking English all along, but right after, he suddenly began speaking in his native language. Indiana turned, faced the audience, and began translating what he was saying. I was shocked. When did he have time to learn a whole new language? This seemed like a superpower to me. Indiana Jones was my first bilingual hero. This is how I first fell for languages. An excerpt taken from the article, The World Needs More, bilingual heroes. Hugo Miranda was born and raised in Costa Rica and was educated in Spanish all through high school. It was at this point that he migrated to California to learn English. Having learned the language, he developed a fervent passion for reading in English. He went back to Costa Rica where he envisioned becoming an English teacher. He taught English for four years and gained experience teaching to students of all ages, privately and in groups. He left Costa Rica after being awarded a full scholarship to study Mandarin at the National Taiwan Normal University's Mandarin Training Center. After completing three years of study, he continued his education for two more years at Taiwan National University, where he studied geography. He self-financed his education in Taiwan by teaching Spanish and English to students of all ages. Upon returning to the U.S., he concentrated on teaching Spanish and Chinese to kids ranging from 18 months to 10 years old while completing his Bachelor's of Arts in Linguistics from California State University Fullerton. Shortly before graduation, he was hired by Blizzard Entertainment, where he currently works as a Latin American Spanish language specialist. His work with the community has centered around showcasing his work in localization to bilingual learners at local schools as a way to empower them like the heroes of a video game. As he says, we all have superpowers that make us unique, and our quest is to find what that superpower is. Without further ado, here's Hugo's story. Hugo, 
Hugo, I want to take the opportunity to thank you for being here today. I know that it's it's been quite a ride for a lot of us, particularly since last night, our governor, Gavin Newsom, issued a stay-at-home order. So a lot of us now have been working from home. Is that the case for you? Uh, hi, Mireya. And I want to first and foremost thank you for the opportunity and giving me the channel to talk about my story. And yes, going back to the current situation, I am working from home as of last Monday, and it's been great. It's been a great experience. The company has been really great to us. And the one thing that was not expected was that the kids would also be at home. So it's been quite a ride. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. I think for many of our listeners, it, they're going to be able to relate that we have new coworkers that have no idea how to work with us. That's correct. That's the way to see it, my coworkers. Hugo, well, once again, thank you so much for being with us today. Who is Hugo Miranda? Hugo Miranda. So for most that don't know me, actually, my first name is Victor. But as I was growing up, everybody called me Hugo. And that's something that I never really wanted to change because Victor Hugo is a very famous writer, a French writer. And that somehow always got me back to my roots that writer, that Scribner, the great writer who my dad used to read about. But I like to identify the people who call me Hugo because those are the people who know me. And the people who call me Victor, they're kind of like the telemarketers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hugo Miranda is a Costa Rican who was born and raised in this little town south of the capital or north of the capital. And we grew up with a very particular view of the world. And ever since then, it's been a wild ride in terms of the countries that I've visited and what I've learned so much about. And in fact, I usually say that I had to unlearn more things that I had to learn them. And those are the good habits that I picked up everywhere along the way. My first journey was when I left Costa Rica for the first time, and that was to come here to California to learn English. After going through high school and doing some university, I needed to go back to Costa Rica and start exercising what I had learned. And that's where I, I had envisioned becoming an English teacher. And I had this image of this respected person that was carrying a messenger bag on the side and, you know, being all groomed and the shirt stuck in and all that. And I thought, you know, I didn't think myself I was going to be capable of doing that, but I went for it. And just for experimenting, and I was very surprised that I was very suitable to it. After working, teaching English for about four years and moved out, moved out to a new school, I started that in the province of Alajuela. I began to get really bored, and I always envisioned that movie, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, where he would go to crazy places and speak crazy languages. I needed, I really thirsted for expanding my horizons. Because Costa Rica is a beautiful place, but it's a small place. And looking through the newspaper, one day I spotted this opportunity for a scholarship in Taiwan. And having had the experience of being exposed to the Chinese language for a little bit, also having an eighth of Chinese in my blood lineage. I thought I was very suitable for applying for it. And I think out of 72 people who applied, I was chosen along with 11 other people to take the trip and go to Taiwan where I began my Mandarin training. Fast forward six years, I came back to the US and finished my degree in linguistics. And that is pretty much not to make the, the story too long because 
as you can see, I'm pretty aged by now. Tell us a little bit more about this Indiana Jones story. When I first watched the movie, I thought of an archaeologist as not being such a cool, you know, career like a policeman or fireman. But he was he was half professor, half academic, and half adventurer. And I identified with that because I had this interest in languages, and that is not, you know, like the regular type of hero. But yet, you know, it, it can take you to adventures far and abroad. And so I really identified with this. And of course, you know, it's, I, I really like the action in all the movie. I really like the, the whole idea. I'm a big fan. What did you do, Ugo, in Taiwan? You said you got a scholarship to go to Taiwan. What was it like out there? Completely different culture, completely different country, completely different customs. What was life like once you are accepted and you step foot there? Yes, that's very interesting. Uh, having been put together in this group of 12 people, flying over the long haul, the Pacific you know, I had I had been to the U.S. before, so I went there armed, having learned English in a different in a foreign country already. So that was like the third level up. And well, at first, I remember getting there feeling very, very, very sleepy, and I did not know why. <laughs> and of course, that it was the jet lag that I had never experienced in my life. And along with others, uh, we started trying to analyze what was different from what we knew before. And that comes up in a way as a criticism, like criticizing, look at these people doing this here. Why are they doing this? Why do they do that? And that's how the first week or so was like. It was basically the, the criticizing, it came out as that, but it was unintended. What we were just trying to do was try to make heads and tails of this new world new food, new language, new habits. The weather was kind of similar, but then it was more moist and it was, a, it's an, it was an island too. What do you remember was the most difficult experience there? The most difficult experience being there, I think, was trying to, trying to learn the language. I think that was the scariest part. I remember telling my father about it and I told and that, that was the one thing that was really scared that I maybe would not be able to learn it because it seemed like it was completely different from anything I knew. And actually, he called my spirits by saying, you know, it's their language. They'll know how to teach it to you. And okay, that is their responsibility. And that was the biggest fear I had, I would say, the biggest challenge going in there. Bring us to present moment. Hugo Miranda currently works in localization, am I correct? Yes, that is gaming uh, localization. Gaming localization. Talk to us about that. Yes, that is a very, very avant-garde, a new field. Gaming at some point to some people meant casinos and all that, you know, kind of shady world. But now it means something very different. And for us that are of a certain age, it's, it's not very normal for my friends to call it that. But the young, younger generations, they know very well what gaming is to them now. And we think of gaming localization as something that maybe is not as critical, you know, because it's just a game. You're doing translation and voiceover for a game. And comments I've heard have been the translations I see in a game 
they don't sound that great to me. I, they always have suggestions for making it better. That's not how we say it. I see typos all the time and things like that. And gaming localization is not easy work. As opposed to, like, say, movies and dubbing, they're working on a product that's already been finished. But our product is changing constantly. And we're working on the translation and we're recording the voiceover as the game is evolving. And there are daily changes. The writer may change his mind about a certain line. So, oh, I don't want to record this. I want the character to say this to define his or her personality. And so, okay, we got to change it too. And we have to do the same for 13 other languages. And we have to coordinate with 13 other studios. And we have to call the actor for that character and make sure he has enough time before the deadline. But that actor also works on movies and, you know, there's available availability might be challenged. And it is very, very challenging to work in a world that is always changing. That's amazing because not too long ago, I came across a story of yours that you had recently posted about something that happened back in March of 2019. And what caught my eye was a phrase that read, the world needs more bilingual heroes, correct? Yes, that is correct. The line is, the world needs more bilingual heroes. That's how I read it. it. And we're talking about a a local library Comic-Con. So it was like a mini Comic-Con, like the one you have in San Diego, but it was a little bit different because it was just a, a local event where I was invited to go and speak about what I do at work. And talking about that line, I'm very, very glad that you picked up on that because that's actually a variation of a line that is set in one of the Blizzard's most popular games, which is Overwatch. And this line is set by Tracer in one of her cinematics videos that she makes an appearance on. She says, the world could always use more heroes. And in, at this time, he's talking to a couple of young boys who look at her with inspired eyes. And I always heard this line saying, is this line actually talking to me? Am I, am I a hero of some sort? And having been bilingual for a very long time and studying here in the U.S., I always tried to hide my accent and try to hide that I spoke Spanish. And for the longest time, I thought that this asset, this ability that I had, is actually was not a weakness. It was a strength. And it took me a long, long time to identify it as such. Way too long you know, for me to get to this age to know it. So now I want to empower those who are younger in elementary school, in intermediate school, and tell them that not to be shy if you speak another language. That actually empowers you. So that presentation, in essence, was saying, you are a hero if you are bilingual. And in that presentation, we also had Indiana Jones. And we also have those who work in localization, those who work in dubbing. They're all bilingual heroes. So as such, I should come out. And even though I didn't feel like it at the time, that me, I am too a bilingual hero. And you are too, Mireya. I feel like a superhero today. Yes, thank you. I've never seen it that way. And it's kind of 
I suppose, particularly when your audience is that young, what was beautiful about that story for me is that you've mixed or you've combined in your message to them two abilities, one that they perhaps didn't feel, just like you mentioned, it took you years to identify as an asset and another perhaps like of theirs. And what I loved about your story is that you combined both worlds into one and gave it this phrase of bilingual heroes. And I thought the story was just so very well written because you delivered it in such a way where you brought the reader into your world, into that moment, and into what happened. And the phrase itself catches the eye of the reader. And then once you get into your story, and I'll make sure to share this with our listeners, I'll share the link to Ugo's article. Once you get into the story, it's just so inspiring to know that the world of languages is even in in the gamings, like no one thinks about that. At least I, I've never thought about, about it like that. It, it blew my mind. And I thought, what an amazing thing to bring to, to the youth. Oh, thank you very much for the kind words. And one thing that always makes me really happy is when I hear comments such as yours, when I hear the realization of what the world of languages and combined with gaming could be. And my point is to, yes, bring that out and say how amazing it is and how challenging it can be at the same time. It's not just, it's not just for the, the sake of entertainment, as most people see it. Right. It's not all fun. There is actual hard work behind the scenes going on, just as you explained to us earlier. So with that, I'd like to be able to kind of give our audience an idea of what that looks like for you. So if you wouldn't mind, would you walk us through a day in the shoes of Hugo Miranda, the gaming localization expert or specialist? What does that look like for you? Well, I am a language geek. So when I walk into the office and you know I start checking emails and I start checking the issues that need to be checked, you just like anybody else. But when it gets really exciting is... Well, first, one thing I should put out there for our listeners is I am in charge of some of the games that we publish in Latin American Spanish. We also have European Spanish. It's, a, it's another market. So what I specialize in is Latin American market. What that means is we publish and we do recording translations for a product that is broadcasted to all of Latin American speakers regardless of where they are physically located. In other words, you could play in Latin American Spanish any of the Blizzard games if you are in China, if you are in Africa, if you're in Europe. And of course, a majority of our audience are all of the gamers from Mexico down to Argentina. So we that's one big item I should specify that we re do recordings in what we call neutral Spanish. I know for interpreters, they don't have to go into that specification. Everybody pretty much uh, interprets in their own accent. But for our, our own recordings, we have to do it in neutral Spanish. So actors from different countries have different degrees of getting to that neutral Spanish. Some of them have to take classes, special courses. Others, not as much. So that is one of the big responsibilities I have. Determining the accent that a hero is going to have 
in the Latin American version of our games. I'll give you one example. We have a game that has heroes from all over the world. It's a it's a it is set in a real world about 60 years in the future. But it is the real world. It is not a fantasy world that we have made up. It's set like say in Mexico, there is Europe and there is France. And we have, for example, this one character who originally is from China and this one other who is originally from France. And what accent are we going to choose? What accent are we going to tell the, the talent or the voice actor to go and do for this hero? And then I looked at my team and they looked back at me and then they go, well, whatever, it's going to be natural for the game and for our gamers. And it, it took me maybe during the course of a few, three months to go back and forth with this idea. And one thing I knew that I always embraced was well, these heroes have to have the accent from what they're originally from because I hear it and I've always heard it in people. And now my challenge was, okay, so how do I transmit that idea? How do I make it consistent on the voice actor, on the voice director, or the linguistic control who is listening to make sure that all the vowels and consonants are pronounced? And that's where my linguistic background kicked in. That's where I had to transcribe in phonetics how certain things should be pronounced for Chinese, but in Spanish, or for French, or a cowboy, or for regular English, or Australian, or Germans, or Haitians. And that's been a wild run, and it's been such an incredible experience to be able to go into the game now and hear them. And also for someone who is from the Caribbean to hear one of our heroes and say, oh, tears came to my eyes when I heard him speak Spanish because it reminded me of how my parents spoke to me. That is one of the responsibilities I have, that it's, it's an amazing world. It sounds amazing. How do you go about finding that? How do you search for that specific person that is the right person to fit the role? So we do our recordings mostly out of Argentina and Mexico City. For this particular project, we selected Mexico City. And one thing I relied heavily on is on the hand of the audio director. That is the person that is sitting behind the microphone, the control room, telling the actor, give me a little bit more sadness here, more emotion. So he knows a wide range of actors and also their abilities. And if they've done accents before, can this person do an accent? Oh, yes, he's done it for a Disney cartoon, or he's done it for an anime. Oh, we got this other talent who's never done voice acting, but did some drama in school and speaks Chinese. It's like, oh my God, we have to give them a try. And we have to give them voice tests or voice sessions to go in and listen and see how they can pick up direction. The behind the scenes work, I think, is always so interesting. I, I, I just find it so fascinating to listen to what is actually happening behind the scenes. Uh, there's just so many aspects involved, obviously, right before we actually see uh, the final product. What would you say, Ugo, has been your biggest challenge during your career? And what do you feel it taught you? I think that working for a company like the one I work for, one of the biggest challenges has been consistency in management. And I don't like to blame that at all. 
I think there was this point in life where we were without a manager. And that was a very meaningful time for me. And it was not too long ago where there was no clear direction of where we were going. And it was about, you know, maybe a six-month period. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know who to take direction from about my work or what I wanted. And that's when I decided, I'm just going to take this ride, this boat, into the place where I want it to be, into the place where I feel most, most comfortable, and into a place where, it's gonna, where I'm going to be happy. And it was that experimenting and risking and making mistakes that actually, I would say, woke me up. It brought me to a huge awakening into the person I am today. So at the time we saw it as a big challenge, we didn't know what to do. And I'm glad I made the most of it because it actually showed me a door into my inner self, into where I wanted to go. What do you feel has helped you to overcome fear or limiting beliefs or doubts? Or how do you motivate yourself to do what most scares you? I've faced, I faced that many times and I did it in, in different countries and different contexts where I would, I guess it was a family trait that I had just to follow what the majority of people would say. And so when I would have an idea, I would share it and then take the feedback and maybe not go for it because the other person disagreed with that. So there was always this fear. Uh, after a while, it developed into a fear that my ideas were a place where I shouldn't go into because nobody really cared and uh, everybody was against it. And they didn't seem appreciated. And, you know, I just never built up the, the much courage or emotion to go into them. But then I also felt very tired and feeling like it was taking energy from me. And what I found out is that when I started doing those things, the people were not supporting. Were actually, when I found someone that would say yes to me, it would be a different kind of scary. It, it would encourage me to go and, and pursue it. And that's when I began pursuing my own ideas. And after that, it didn't really matter much what others would say because I felt energized empowered to do those. So whenever I feel like the outcome it doesn't look it doesn't look like it's gonna happen. I just keep going back to those moments that, that make me feel that give me more energy. Like say going to that other person that also geeks out about language, also geeks out about a certain game and finding that companionship. And the larger the circle becomes then the more empowered you feel and the more ensured you become that you're going in the right direction, that you're following your heart and you're serving others. That's what I would say. I want to go into what rewarding project you're currently working on or that you've just completed. Now, I know that perhaps there was something that was coming up and that may have changed due to our current uh, circumstances that we're facing worldwide, but what are you currently working on um, that you feel excited about? Oh, that's a great question, and I'm really happy to share this with you. 
Of course, I won't be able to share any names, but after publishing my stories and people reaching out to me that they want to do this and that, and uh, I got in touch with a local principal at an intermediate school where they said, we want to do something with gaming as well because our kids are all into gaming and we want also to empower them. And we also have a population that we know is bilingual at home and may be facing academic challenges. We need them to become empowered, to feel in them, believe in themselves. And so I said, yes, let's go for it. Let's set up a meeting and I want to meet your teachers. We, we set up this meeting and it was like three weeks ago. And the principal brought three other teachers. And after I heard their needs and what they were working on, I just felt very touched that there were four individuals out there who were really caring for what education the students were getting and seeing them, how they would reach out to the community, to a person like me, passionate about sharing languages, my own story as a bilingual learner. And gaming, it was it was amazing. So I began just throwing up ideas, and I said, "Why don't we do?" You know, at first we were thinking of doing a simple workshop, some workshop about maybe a presentation of what I do at work, and that that would be that would be it. And I said, "This is what I've done before, but why don't we do it more like a game, and we do it like a, like." We're leveling things. So we could do first a presentation that would be level one. And they would do a, a workshop of some sort where they apply what they heard and then apply it to themselves. That would be level two. And then what do we do like a level three where we end up doing a tour at Blizzard Entertainment? And they were like, wowed by this. Yes, it does sound like a game. And we could give them some sort of uh, challenges that they have to complete at school so that they can apply for the next level up. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much how it went. And I felt just very touched by, by the passion that they were sharing and how we were collaborating to work on that project. But, uh, you know, I think that project for now has been put on hold for about a few weeks, but that doesn't stop me. <laughs> that doesn't stop me from from keep dreaming on how we could do this together because the energy is there. Absolutely, I think you just definitely uh, made it a very crucial point that during this time, although it's not, I guess I can say productive time, but it can be. It can be absolutely productive right now, but maybe not in the way that we are used to. What this can be, however, is a time of creativity, which, uh, you know, I think that we just need to learn to apply our energy and our creativity in a completely different way right now. So the time for planning right now, I mean, if we use it in the correct way, we can absolutely do what you just mentioned, which is just having all these thoughts and dreaming all these dreams and putting them together as a plan so that when we're back out there in, in, uh, in our usual activities, we can begin to apply them, right? Yes, that is correct. That is something that we can still, we can still build up on this experience and make the best out of it. Well, I tell you what, Ugo, this planning for these children 
particularly our English language learners in our education system, to give them something that they can relate to and connect and be able to dream about as a future, as a potential future. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know how to best describe a superhero, if not that, if to be able to give children hopes and dreams and something that they can relate with. I think that's just the power of the universe putting together and making connections and putting you into the hands of people that are managing the education system or, or have a say in it. And uh, connecting both of you to be able to give this out to students, I think that's such a beautiful story. I mean, your stories keep getting better and better. Well, thank you. Yes, and I, I'm just very moved and enthused by the, but the passion I see out there. Imagine the risk, the principal and the teachers are taking on someone that just walked off the street, and she says he okay, so he works for this company, and he does this. But then he also grew up with these challenges. And let's see what he is like. And let's interview him and talk to him. And for them to, to see the light of the end of the tunnel for their students, I mean, I think there's nothing more rewarding for me than that. Hugo, what would you recommend to an up-and-coming translator that wishes to enter the field of gaming localization? What would be your number one recommendation to them? Oh, thank you for asking. That's a really good question for me. I think I see it in a different way than most people working outside of the gaming industry. And it's actually simple. You would treat games like it is a subject, a subject matter, like it is math, like it is science. And one analogy I can use would be that movie School of Rock. And I remember that this flashlight when he was standing against the board and he was, we're going to learn about music theory and history. And he was writing all these things up on the board like rock and or Black Sabbath is this category or whatnot. Well, in gaming, it is the same. When we interviewed a candidate for a position similar to mine, or even quality assurance, we want to know that this person has the material down. For example, okay, so there's this game called this. Who makes that game? Where is that company located? Who are the founders? What is that game genre? What is the story at the end? What did you like about it? What did you not like? And how could you make it better? What didn't click for you? And those are critical questions that you're looking at a game from an analytical perspective. It's not just the entertainment or the sugar rush that you get out of you know, completing quests or killing monsters. But what is it behind? What did the designers do wrong? What, what could they do better? Or when you look at, look at the art, and you look at a monster's design, well, and you can call relations to this type of art that you've seen in movies, that you've seen in antiquity, or references, references of the dialogue that you hear, oh, yes, that is a line that actually comes from a meme in pop culture right now, or that's a line that comes from a commercial that was popular 30 years ago. So do you really know your content? It's not just, you know, I played this game, this and this and this, 
that is really going into it. Are you that person? Do you know the history, the different genres, uh, the different strategies for games? What games are good for what people? Or is this game playable on what platform? It's knowing all those details that you can identify who is in the gaming industry and who is not, who is just, you know, watching the show, basically. That is such a great piece of advice. And uh, I think that it definitely opens up the mind of what it entails in order to uh, enter such a unique field. What would you like our listeners, Hugo, to walk away with from this episode? I would say, Mireya, that it took me a little bit to figure this out on my own, but life is a game. Life is about figuring out what your abilities are and how they can serve your team and how you can achieve goals with your teammates. In other words, in this game, in where your teammates are your family members or you're actually uh, teammates at work? Are you working towards a common goal? And how do you use your particular skills to uh, reach that goal? How do you complement deficiencies in skills that others maybe they don't have? How do you complement that? Are you understanding of that? That maybe one person it's deficient in certain in certain areas of learning or public speaking, and how can others can complement or help? that other person achieve a level of understanding of that skill. Learning what your skills are is the biggest challenge for us because there's no one giving them to us. There's no game designer telling us, you're going to fly and you're going to shoot from your head. We have to identify them. And that's when we are real heroes. We are the heroes of this game. I think that was such a beautiful analogy and, you know, learning what your skills are, are, to me, it just, it resonates completely because for some of us, that is a lifetime endeavor. So thank you for sharing that. I think that was just beautifully said and definitely something that I hope everyone connects with. Yes. Imagine that if, if for, for once, at least when I was a kid and someone had identified that I liked repeating strange sounds in different languages and someone had told me, you know, maybe you're good for linguistics. <laughs> maybe you'll be good at doing voiceover, but there was no one around to tell me that. And at least if I can be the person that exposes them to this new world, maybe that will help them try to look for their own skills. I have absolutely no doubt that you've definitely left many pondering. So thank you so much for having shared that, Ugo. Where can our listeners find out more? Because I'm nearly certain that everyone will want to find out more about Blizzard and Ugo Miranda. Where can our listeners find out more about what you do? So for now, the best source would be my LinkedIn profile. That's where I've published my stories with the limited time that I have. And I think most people, they just take a passive role into reading and maybe liking. But I'm very, very engaged in when I am asked a question because the question is it's like a challenge to me. And I'm very eager to clear out any questions that are, uh, that are there. And also on how I can spread that message to local schools as 
well. Absolutely. And now you are on LinkedIn as Hugo Miranda, correct? I think so, yes. Well, I'll definitely go ahead and include that in the show notes, that as well as the links to these great posts that uh, the stories that you have shared on LinkedIn, because I find that people are going to be definitely interested in reading them and find out how inspiring they are. So thank you so very much, Hugo, for your time and for being here with us today. Mireya, thank you very much. I wish you much success. And I can't wait to hear more stories from your podcast. It's been awesome. Thank you so much, Hugo. You heard it here first, folks. Your superpower is your ability to speak two, or for some of you, more than two, languages. Hugo has chosen to use his unique superpowers to empower and motivate young bilingual superheroes to be. To find out more about Hugo Miranda, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, or for more information on Blizzard Entertainment, visit blizzard.com. Well, that's all this bilingual superhero has for you today. But I couldn't leave this episode without sharing a story. It is the story of a samurai and a monk. A samurai, who was known for his nobility and honesty, went to visit a monk to ask him for his advice. When the monk had finished his prayers, the samurai asked, Why do I feel so inferior? I have faced death many times, have defended those who are weak. Nevertheless, upon seeing you meditating, I felt that my life had absolutely no importance whatsoever. Wait, once I have attended to all those who have come to see me today, I shall answer you, replied the monk. The samurai spent the whole day sitting in the temple gardens, watching the people go in and out in search of advice. He saw how the monk received them all with the same patience and the same illuminated smile on his face. At nightfall, when everyone had gone, he demanded, Now can you teach me? The master invited him in and led him to his room. The full moon shone in the sky and the atmosphere was full of profound tranquility. Do you see the moon, how beautiful it is? It will cross the entire firmament, and tomorrow the sun will shine once again. But sunlight is much brighter and can show the details of the landscape around us, trees, mountains, clouds. I have contemplated the two for years and have never heard the moon say, why do I not shine like the sun? Is it because I am inferior? Of course not, answered the samurai. The moon and the sun are different things. Each has its own beauty. You cannot compare the two. So, you know the answer. We are two different people, each fighting in his own way for that which he believes, and making it possible to make the world a better place. The rest are mere appearances. May your bilingual superpowers encourage, help, and inspire others. Thank you so much for tuning in. Till next time, bye-bye.